Welcome to the podcast, Your Time with James Sweetman. Every so often, we all need a little encouragement, some words to capture our mind, engage our heart, and enliven our spirit. And that's my intention with this podcast. It's an opportunity for you to take a few minutes out of your busy day and listen to what I hope is thought-provoking and empowering content. Each week, my guests and I share stories, challenges, and vulnerabilities, as well as tips and insights on a whole range of topics all with the aim of helping us to live in a more soulful, authentic and integrated way. So thank you for tuning in. Let's jump into this week's episode. Hello and welcome to this week's episode. For the first time in this new series, I'm joined by a special guest. I'm excited this week to be chatting with Charlie Swords, leadership consultant, trainer, mentor and author. Before we jump in, let me give you a little background on Charlie. For the first 18 years of her professional life, Charlie was a career banker. In 1997, she set up her consultancy business and since then has worked in over 27 countries across various sectors, organizations and cultures. She's also someone who is very socially aware, having volunteered at a Dublin children's home for over 12 years and has been involved in various social initiatives. This partly led to her work in the developing world. She is the author of Dare to be a Revolutionary Leader, which has the subtitle, People Are the Solution, Change Your Leadership Style. She is a sought-after leadership consultant, trainer, and mentor to a broad range of clients. I'm really looking forward to our conversation today about her new book and what it takes to be an effective leader in these challenging times. Charlie, you're very welcome. Thank you very much, James, and I'm delighted to be here. And I know we can probably chat all day on a range of topics. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, and we have a lot in common, I have to say. Um, the, the, the book, though, let's jump straight in. Dare to be a revolutionary leader. I think it is such a great title. I love the active invitation of the word dare up front. Uh, but let's start with the idea of a revolutionary leader itself. You know, what do you mean by the term? Because I suspect it's not an invitation for us to release our inner Che Guevara's. <laughs> no, you're, you're, you're correct. Yes, the title actually has been, uh, is, has caused a, a lot of interest, which I'm delighted with, because when I chose it, I wanted a rather provocative title. Right. To force mm. people to say, what do you mean? Mm. And what I mean by this is, yes, the word dare is very deliberate. And by dare, I mean, really, be courageous, yes. be daring, and be courageous to not be a, a type of Che Guevara, but to revolutionize your thinking. Right. And yeah. it's, it's a massive change. And it's to revolutionize your thinking when you're in the leadership role or when you're aspiring to become a leader. But it's to bring your focus and your attention to the people you're leading and the people you're working with, rather than always being the bottom line or the system or the outcomes or the whatever. I think we're forgetting people in the, the whole leadership arena. And that is why I chose that title. And the challenge really is for all leaders and all future leaders is to be courageous enough to change your thinking about how you lead your people. Yes, yes. And it's interesting as we're chatting because it's something that I sometimes say to, to groups and I, and I, think, I, I think I'm right with this, but the, the word courage 
Yeah. It comes from the same word, cor, C-O-R, I think, meaning yeah. heart. And, you know, so it's not just the head, it's the heart that's coming into it a little more, I think. The heart and the soul, yes. for me, it's actually that we go a little bit deeper and that we go back to to really find out who we really are, the real essence of ourselves, because I think that then will determine everything. Yeah, yeah. And I know from having read the book, and, and I'll be sharing some of my personal highlights with, with, with you in a little while. Um, but it's it, Dare to Be a Revolutionary Leader. It's, it's perhaps structured in a way that's somewhat unconventional when it comes to, you know, typical books on the topic of leadership. Take yeah. us through how you've structured it and maybe why you've structured it that way, Charlie. Sure. Uh, that was very deliberate on my part because um, I've read many, many leadership books, as I'm sure you have and, and many of your listeners as well. But what I really found was, and with my, my experience worldwide, I really felt that for my message, what I really wanted is to put the focus back on leading your people. Right. But what I have learned through research and practice is that before we can do that effectively, we really need to master our self-leadership. And that's why I structured the book as I did. So the first part, and almost, I guess, half the book almost, is on yourself. So mm. it's all about how you lead yourself and develop yourself. The second part then is really when you've mastered your self-leadership, you can then lead your people better. So it's about your employees. Mm-hmm. And then the third and final part, which is the smallest part, is your results. So really, and I for that, I chose the two key areas of strategy implementation and customer experience. Mm-hmm. So for me, if you really want to improve the bottom line, everybody does. Uh, yeah. But they tend to focus on that first. What I'm suggesting also by the structure is, no, no, let that let that evolve and it will evolve much better and it'll be far more uh, positive when you focus on yourself and then when you focus on your people, the rest will fall into place. It's like that's the byproduct. It's the it's the natural byproduct. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's why I, I have structured it in that way. And it reminds me, too, of that saying of, you know, leadership starts with the constituency of one. You know, it starts with yourself, the only place where yeah. you have control. Yeah. yeah. And, and on that topic, I know, you know, that self-leadership bit makes complete sense to me because it's, an area, it's a space I work in myself. But it reminds me of something that you said on another podcast, Charlie, that I was listening to in prep for today. And I just thought it was a great sentiment. You know, if you don't do the inner work, the outer work will suffer. Yeah. What did you mean by that? Because I think people will find that interesting. Yeah, well, the outer work uh, of a leader really is your leadership style, how you lead your people and how you achieve your results. Mm-hmm. And the most important thing that I say to people, you know, when I'm mentoring them or when I'm training or in workshops, it's that you all leaders achieve their results through their people. Mm. And it's to put the emphasis back on that. So also as a result of the hybrid, the whole hybrid working and the whole pandemic and, mm-hmm. the, you know, the transformational change that's been going on. An awful lot of leaders have said, I don't know if I'm actually the right person to lead mm-hmm. or if I'm doing it properly. So this is where what I've said is if you don't do the inner work, the outer work will suffer. In order to change and to improve our, our way of leading, we really need to go back and understand how we lead ourselves 
And to do that, I think we need to know who we truly are. We have to go back to the very essence of who we are, what our core values are, what we believe in, you know, where we stand with our regards to our ethics and our morals, yes. how we see people, how we value their input. Do we see, do we hear, and do we value the people on our teams or are they a means to an end? And yes. all of that, all of our behaviors as leaders come from within. They come from our inner, uh, our, our essence. Yes, yes. And yeah. that's what I'm saying here. Go back to your, your real self and try and understand yourself more, which is why maybe the, half the book is all about your self-leadership. Who are you really? Are you true to yourself or are you the leader somebody thought you should be? And are you in the job somebody thought you should be in? Or are you actually where you truly want to be and where you believe you fit and where yeah. you're fulfilled? So it's about going back to the very essence of ourselves and it's about going back and finding out who we are. And the more we know ourselves, James, when you're leading people, then mm. a huge component of that is knowing your employees. So if you don't know how to understand yourself, you're never going to know how to understand other people and what drives them, what issues they may have, how to empathize more with them or mm -hmm. how to approach them. And we have far more diverse workforces, certainly here in Ireland and worldwide mm -hmm. now. And it's not one size fits all. That, that, that old approach just doesn't apply. And so when it comes to people, we have to be very flexible, but we have to be very firm in who we are. And that's what I meant. We're never going to change the outcome if we don't go back to source. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I always like playing with words. It reminds me of like, you know, we source ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's so much, there's so much in what you're saying, Charlie. It takes me to emotional intelligence, you know, yeah. which starts off with self-awareness and self-control. Because without that, as you say, how can you empathize with others? How can you build solid relationships? Yes. So if, if your part that's coming to the relationship is on shakier ground, it goes back to the word dare as well. Yeah. At the title of the book, Dare to Be a Revolutionary Leader, because to do that inner work requires courage. Well, I was just going to say that it takes a lot of courage mm. and a lot of commitment um, to, to master your self-leadership and to go back and look at yourself objectively, not mm. subjectively, because that can get all very funny, but is to really take a, a deep and meaningful look. And to understand your triggers, your motivators, are they intrinsic, are they extrinsic? Yeah. Is it your peer pressure? Is it the three holidays a year or whatever it is? Mm. And, you know, I'm sure you, the same as myself and others, we've come across so many private clients who say, I have the job, I have the income, I have the everything, but I'm really not fulfilled. There's something mm -hmm. missing. And that inner work is about that missing piece in the jigsaw. And, you know, we all owe it to ourselves to invest that time in ourselves. We're also busy going and doing. N none of us actually stop to be, to be in the moment and to understand those old sayings we might have heard when we were growing up, you know, stop and smell the roses. Mm -hmm. And going, and what does that mean? You, there was no time for it. It was almost like, yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. I have to go now and have a meeting and a whatever yeah so, yeah it yeah. reminds me of um i think it's a piece i've done somewhere else um recently 
where in, in recent times it seems so much emphasis is on productivity and yes. um, okay. the, higher, the higher, stronger, faster uh, yeah. piece um, and, and less on the, you know, sort of the purpose, the why, the reflection, the, the inner motivation piece. And, and it also reminds me what you're saying, Charlie, on, um, you know, is it me in my leadership um, or, or that, I suppose, much hackneyed term now, authentic leadership, um, or am I just playing a role? You know, is this just yeah. the role of what's expected of me? And therefore that will always feel hollow. Well, I think there's in, in a, a number of organizations and, and God knows I've worked in a significant number of them. I I really feel for the 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 leader and mm. the position holder when all when they're in a kind of a tick box approach to leadership. Yes. They just well, we've always done it this way, so I'll just continue to do it this way until I move to the next stage. Mm. Um, and there's no soul, there's no feeling, there's no heart in it, there's no people in it. It's just pure bottom line, uh, solution focused. And I, I think that has to be that has to be for me so sucking the life out of you, really, as yeah. an individual, and so lacking in fulfillment. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We're back to values and yeah. wearing my coaching hat with that. Yeah. You know, we, we all just want to feel happy and fulfilled. We're all doing our best. But um, if, if happiness and fulfillment is the, you know, is the cake we want to eat, um, it makes sense to do some work and to know what the ingredients are that, that fill us up. Yeah, the, the um, work we do has to be meaningful. I, yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah, yeah. There was, you know, having read the book, Charlie, there was so much in it that I underlined and highlighted and the tips and the uh, best practices. But a sentiment that struck me, and this was a double underline, so I know my own methods. If I double underline something, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's meaningful for sure. And I'd love you to expand on this, but you had written, humanity cannot be compromised in the name of progress, technology, commercialization or leadership tell us a little more about that because i think that's fascinating well you know my book is all about people and i really by virtue of writing it i want leaders to refocus their effort on people because i do believe humanity has been compromised you know like, like anyone i remember years ago in the bank being told that when the new computer system was implemented we would have no more paper i, I never right. saw as much paper after <laughs> the implementation of a system <laughs> you know really and now we hear you know we're in that the real high tech society and i think we are chasing technology somebody has their their foot on the accelerator and the technology like you know, sooner have a new updated version of something and the next one is out and the next one is promised and we're at, you know, version 10 will be here. In yes. a, how on earth? We're not, we were not made or created to move at that pace, to respond. Like there is no time to enjoy or, and, and it's all tech, tech, tech. And I despair when I see the teenagers and the Gen Z, X, Y, yeah. Z, and the millennials, and they don't know what it is to take a simple instruction now on their work experience. They're they're living in a world of instant gratification yes. and all of this very visual, impactful stuff. And so, a conversation with another human being, there's no bright color there. There's no gadget. <laughs> they actually have to think 
and use their brain and have a conversation. And I, I worry about the leaders of the future. But when I, when I was thinking about this sentiment and when I wrote it, what I had in mind, because I, I revised my book during the pandemic. That's when mm-hmm. I absolutely finalized it to, to take into account the pandemic, really, because yeah. hybrid working and everything came in that way. But, you know, if you take COVID and if you take all of the technology developments in the medical sector worldwide, and they're fantastic, don't get me wrong. Yes. But when the pandemic hit, it wasn't the technology that saved the day or the technology that those who were struck down with COVID wanted or needed. It was the human being. It was the frontline workers. Mm-hmm. It wasn't the technology. And then the frontline workers in all of the stores, it suddenly wasn't you know, productivity just for the sake of, well, we'll move this product placement here and product placement there. It was get the products in and get them out to the public. So again, Mm -hmm. it was humanity. Mm -hmm. And then if Mm -hmm. we look at this great push to online banking, everybody was forced into a situation they may not necessarily have chosen to be in. And I also hear about for many years, you know, we're moving to a cashless society. I Mm -hmm. actually don't believe that will ever happen. But in some of the countries I've worked in, they're so far away from that. It's unreal. But let's 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 look at straight in the eye at the moment. We're all so automated and we're all all so digitalized at the moment. But, you know, when we have power cuts, mm-hmm. how easy is it for us to function financially? Mm-hmm. You know, we have no cash card only payments for some shops or some stores. Well, that's almost self-imposed, isn't it? If there's a power cut, well, then nothing works. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think we have to we have to just stop putting our foot on that that technology accelerator and we have to take it off and we have to actually look at the services we provide and the quality of life we have if we are that over over dependent yeah yeah it's broadening it's keeping the the perspective broad it's not it's not getting just blinkered with it i mean i can think back and i suppose you know i'm of a certain age but i still get frustrated if i'm trying to get through to say speak to someone somewhere you know it's dialed 22 for this (laughs) 44 for this and then somehow you end up in a loop and i often think Going back to, you know, what you had written about, say, in the, in the third section of the book, back to the customer experience, yeah. you know, and it strikes me, you know, about, I don't know, 15 or so years ago, I was in a company and they had the awards up for, on, on the boardroom wall for their uh, technology prizes yeah. and awards that they won for customer handling and whatever else. Yeah. Sort of thinking, I don't want to phone this place because you never actually get through to a human being and I've never had my issue resolved. I, I'm exactly the same. Uh, you know, I, you know, I talk with a lot of my my uh, clients about, you know, what are the triggers? Yeah. For me, a trigger is um, that kind of an answering machine when I ring it, and I, I just, you know, I'm on the ceiling straight away, and I'm thinking, well, now, Charlie, you're not even helping yourself here, <laughs> because I just, it just really annoys me. But you know, what I was always also thinking about, though, if we go the non-tech route in terms mm. of that sentiment, James. I can I can see and, and visualize leaders in my past and leaders I've seen in many, many organizations I've worked in where, you know, the, their old leadership style was a real boss 
Mm-hmm. It was a real do it or else. Yes. You know, you're a means to an end. You know, if you don't do it, I'll get rid of you and replace yes. you. And, and there was such inhumanity. There mm-hmm. was such lack of respect and lack of dignity for other adults because yes. all, all workers, all employees are adults by and large yes. world over. And I just thought it was, it was such an unfeeling, unforgiving way of leading. I really do. And, and it demotivated and it absolutely, it really destroyed people, a lot yeah. of people. Yeah. And I yeah. think that's unforgivable in a leader. Yeah. 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 There's a very high price to pay with that. Oh, dreadful. Yeah. Where we've been talking about the book, Charlie, and we're going to continue to do so. But of course, we should take a moment and just flag for listeners where they can get it, how they can connect with you. Because I know there's the website there is the main yes. mothership. Shout out your, your website there. My website is www.charlieswords.com. And you're on social media too, Charlie. I'm on social media. Yeah. I'm a Facebook, um, LinkedIn, Instagram. Um, I have a YouTube channel as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's plenty of resources there. Yeah. And yeah. I haven't been I'd in on your... People, I'd love people to, to help themselves and just, you know, to get some little, little bits of support, yeah. little nuggets. Yeah, and there's plenty of them. And what I, what I loved as well with the book, it's in hard copy, but it's also in ebook format absolutely haven't haven't just given out about technology for a bit i know but there is a lot of good but (laughs) there is a lot of good it needs to be balanced like everything yeah i love the fact that you know after we chatted i'm going to get the book you know i didn't have to get up and i could underline without grabbing a pen so it's exactly that old it's that old adage you know like a, a knife in someone's hand can be used to cut bread and feed people and someone else's hand it can be a weapon Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And a, a slight sideways uh, quick step here, sure. uh, Charlie. Um, there's always this debate between leadership and management. Uh, and I just love your, your take on that between you know, the similarities and in particular the differences between leaders and managers as you see it. Yeah, well, for me, uh, I do believe that you lead people and I really believe we should never try to manage people. Okay. So we lead people and we manage systems, situations, and solutions. Okay. I, I just feel no adult truly likes some other adult to bark orders at them or instructions and to tell them what to do. Mm. It's very demeaning. And to my mind, it's not necessary. There, there are so many other ways of dealing with human issues and human challenges. So this is what I always discuss and, you know, coach and mentor my clients and you lead people and, and you always need to, to keep that in mind and you just manage everything else. Now, some people will argue back and say, but no, you have to manage them because of this situation. And I go, well, but you're, you're managing the situation. A mm. person may have caused it, but as a leader, you need to go back. And you need to have a one-to-one with that person to find out, is everything okay? Kind of what were they thinking? Can they explain why they behaved in such a way to cause that situation? Mm-hmm. So you, you kind of, the for me, I have in the book also, I've developed what I call my four-in-one leadership model. And I do believe that a leader today, they've got to know when to lead. They have to know when to manage. They also have to know when to coach. 
Right. And they have to know when to mentor. And I think right. they need to be all four in one. Yeah, yeah. And, it, it, you know, I think that's, that's a lovely way of putting it um, uh, because it brings a bit of structure into it. Um, uh, yeah. And, and, and I think to be, to be effective today, you, you do need to have a combination of all of them. Um, I think so, because the mentoring and the coaching in particular are critical to leading people. So it's not a case of don't do that again. You know, mm -hmm. you know, it's not the right thing to do. If you know somebody is behaving a little out of character, your responsibility toward, as a leader towards that person is to try to understand what caused it. Is there something mm. going on in their life mm. that you need to be aware of because there may be other implications? And so how can you support them? Yes. Yeah. It, it strikes me. I was reading a, a piece in, I think it was the Financial Times recently, an interview with them. Um, I can't think of the person's name, but he was someone senior within the Formula One racing circuit. Yeah. And he was speaking about, you know, how, I don't know, like he doesn't know how an engine works on a car, let's say, or, or any detailed part of it. Um, but he said he will know everything or as much as he can about the person or people who are working on the engines of the car. Exactly. And I said, that's the distinction. Like it's the caring for the people and allowing them to, you know, apply their skill set and their competency and their expertise to, you know, to, 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 do, to do the job. Um, and he was there leading those people. Absolutely. And I just thought it was a lovely, maybe it was because I knew we were having this chat today. I was sort of primed for it, but I just thought it was a lovely, um, a lovely way of phrasing it. You know, I don't have the expertise to do the particular job, but I do know about the person who will be doing the job. Exactly. That's also quite similar, if you think about it, James, to the lean model, mm. whereby the most important people in the organization are the production line, the people on the front line, mm. not the CEO. Mm. And if the production line stops, the CEO goes down to find out, is everything OK? Mm -hmm. Not, you know, that they're not hands off and let's get those get that production line back up and let's ignore the people. The mm. people are cr critical to it. Mm. Is that is that very old but very true Charles Handy quote of an or organizations are nothing but the people in them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. It, it's it's such a fascinating area leadership because I always say, Charlie, you know, leadership is has been around for as long as people have been around. Management really? only came management only came in with the industrial revolution, so it's a baby in comparison. <laughs> yeah, but it, it seems to have kind of overshadowed the whole yeah. leadership uh, yeah. abilities because they're natural. They're more natural abilities. Yeah, and I think a lot with the management pieces, so, so it, they're more easily um, quantifiable as well. The systems and the procedures are quantifiable. Yeah, there are more processes than anything. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the, um, do you think with the changing face of leadership, because I do think we're, we're at sort of a, a renaissance when it comes with leadership, um, I can see it within my own working career and how it's radically different now to what it was back when I started in the 90s, let's say. But do you think nowadays uh, leadership is more accessible to more people? Or, you know, I suppose, can anyone be a leader is probably the question I'm asking. Do we all have leadership capability? I, I believe we do, James. You know, mm. and I know when, when I first uh, joined the bank, um, leadership was something almost like the holy grail, 
something you had to strive towards or work mm-hmm. towards. It was really out of your reach, you know, mm-hmm. in the in the the early uh, or the junior levels of management. Mm-hmm. But you know, when I did my research and everything else and did the work for the book, I just thought, oh my goodness, like I, I was leading naturally as a child and in school and mm-hmm. on school projects. It was a natural instinct in me and I automatically assumed or was given the leadership roles but it was never explained in that way Mm. and yet then when you join a very structured institution it's almost like that gets buried and you go into the the boxes and you go into the the career path and you must do this before you go to here but your natural leadership qualities were were almost um they just weren't supported, really, unless you were hugely lucky that you met a, a very broad-minded and open senior manager. Yes, yes. And, and you weren't always lucky to meet them on your career path because really one of the things that I was asked when I left the bank was, you know, did it bother me that more senior gentlemen always seem to be deciding what my career look like mm. and I thought gosh that was a lovely way of putting it <laughs> mm. yeah that is I've not thought of it that way before yeah, but that's right. exactly how it worked that yeah. was and others were deciding for me and I thought yeah and that's actually probably why my core values were were really struggling with uh, against when I mapped them against the corporate stated values and then the practices were again something entirely different so yeah, it was other people were dictating and um, I, I just, it was very uncomfortable and very challenging Yeah, and it didn't fit with my values. It's, it's interesting that one because something else that struck me on reading the book, and this is something that I'm not even sure if I'm going to be able to frame this as a question. It's just a, a sentiment that I have. You can see it in politics, particularly say American politics. Um, um, and, and we sort of know that those old command and control styles of, of leadership are they're on their way out and, and maybe they still have a place, but a very but but to be used very sparingly. Yeah. And you know, but yet it's all too evident from world news that we still have dictators and autocratic societies, you know, which is the the very much dominate fear-based paradigms. Yeah. And and thankfully there's less and less of it in organizations now. But there are still dictators and organizations too. Totally, you know, yeah. with that, with that, you know, the, the power over as opposed to the power with or empowerment mentality. You know, they're saying do this because I'm the boss type of thing. Yeah. And and for, for me, and I know you agree with this, Charlie, leadership starts with that self-reflection piece, with the with taking personal responsibility for yourself and how you're yeah. showing up. Um, but if we look at that, say, from uh, you know, from people in organizations or even say just a broad uh, sample of people, um, you know, is that too much for some people? Do some people just prefer to be told what to do? What I've found over the years, James, is that depending on the culture of the country that I'm working in, right? Um, sometimes the culture dictates. So we're back to culture and we're back yes. to paradigms. Yes. That Certainly, women shouldn't be putting their head above a parapet mm-hmm. and they shouldn't be striving for leadership positions. But they they are undoubtedly and unquestionably the leaders in the home. Yes. But they're not. That's that type of leadership is seen to be very different to leadership in an office. But it's not really. Let's mm-hmm. be very honest. Mm-hmm. But 
where you have organizations where maybe people would like to be allowed or enabled is the word I would say here. They really need to be enabled to think differently. Mm. There's paradigm shifts, there's organizational cultures, there are practices in organizations. And the culture of an organization, I think, uh, has a, a role to play here or is a factor in this where some people prefer not to because they can blame somebody or something mm. else. Mm. But that's a culture of blame. Mm. And I think that culture is one that needs to change everywhere. But rather than work on the, the concept of blame, I think the daring leaders need to work on the concept of accountability, like responsibility for a job or a function, but also the accountability. So they can switch out the blame and bring in the accountability, but also then the recognition the mm. due recognition for a job well done or somebody's interest or ability to change. Now, I do think that there are some people in organizations who are just, what would you say, weary of life. And mm. they're just thinking, I, I don't have anything left to give. So mm. I'm here till I'm retired. And I think they have to be acknowledged Mm. As in, this is their career path for them. But there are others around them or who may be more senior than them and certainly more junior. They don't all have to follow suit. I know when, certainly when I joined the bank, a thing of promotion was always about the pecking order. It was, yes, came first. Well, you know, people who came before me may not have wanted to the career that I wanted, mm. but that shouldn't mean that I can't have a career. Mm. and achieve the the heights that I want to achieve. So again, I think we have to look at the cause of people accepting that, you know, I just want to be told what to do so then I can blame somebody. That also for me, um, I think as a leader, you have to determine how much of that is just a lazy attitude. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry to call it that, but some people are just lazy and think, yes. This is easy. This is comfortable. Why on earth would I put any pressure on myself? And and as a leader, you need to know who those people are in your organization because there's a different leadership uh, style required for them so that they don't then deter others from making yes. extra effort. Yes, yes. So it really is it kind of this all feeds into or, or, you know, it links back to my chapter on KYE, Know Your Employee. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you really, as a leader, you really need to know the motivators and the triggers for your employees, for their behavior, for their performance. And you need to know who really wants to go forward who wants to go fast track, who wants to go at a regular pace, who wants to stay where they are and who really can't be bothered, but yeah. they may be very good operatives. So if this is really what they want, well, then let's discuss how, what this looks like going forward and, yeah. and manage each of the different types of personalities. There's really no getting away from, how would you say it, um, an interest in people and a curiosity about people as being yeah. vital for, for modern leaders nowadays. Yeah, I, I think the, the two most important characteristics and behaviours for leaders now is actively listening. And I mean, yeah. really deep listening and a fantastic ability to ask the right questions, not mm -hmm. just any question. The right question yeah. would give you 
a very different answer. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 Gasha mentioned listening and and active and passive listening. That was one of the pieces that I, one of the many exercises that um, that you had in the book. Yeah. Charlie, that, well, well, one, I can't wait to try that one out. And of course, I'll credit you, Farah, because it's far better than the, Thank you. Than the exercise I've been using on this <laughs> <thing> before. <laughs> but of course, there's tips in there on what for me are a lot of the fundamental disciplines of, of leadership and people management. Yeah. Uh, running effective meetings, uh, delegation, giving feedback, you know, real core skills of, of, of any leadership position. You know, it was... What, I suppose, was, was it your intention in sharing those um, to make the book Dare to be a Revolutionary Leader more than just something people will read and put to one side or put onto the shelf, but that they'll use it as an active resource? Oh, absolutely. My, the whole purpose of the book is that this is a go-to guide, very mm. comprehensive. There's a, a huge amount in this if you if you choose to use it and, and it is up to every reader. Yeah. Some may really only want to work on the first part. Some might think they're great there and we'll start on the second part. It, you know, in the end of the day, even in my mentoring and my one-to-one clients, if we talk about delegation, it, it's quite remarkable that people forget that the absolute essence of effective delegation is the delegating of your authority to a mm. junior person. Mm. It's not getting them to do work for you. Mm. Um, and even that, it changes the whole concept and context of delegation and, and its functionality and how you as a leader can become very, very effective. It can become an art. And because the primary responsibility of leaders is the development of your people. Mm-hmm. No, no matter what position we hold, we're, we're only guardians of a position in any organization. It's not our personal position. We're the guardian of that position for as long as we're in that position. And we have responsibilities to the people below us. And it's incumbent on all leaders, I believe, to make sure that you have at least one or two people who can step into your position at a moment's notice. Mm-hmm. Because we have responsibility as leaders. You know, if you're in employment to your employer, Mm-hmm. to the organization and to the people. So you, you can't just keep focusing on the bottom line and forget about, well, who's coming behind me? Mm-hmm. One of the yeah. most uh, you know, important pieces of information, and that's why I, I think I put it in here as well. Um, you know, something that was said to me a long time ago is make yourself dispensable. Mm-hmm. And I know when I started the bank, being indispensable was, was the big game. And then you know, a few years later, it was blown, blown to smithereens. And it was a case of make yourself dispensable and make sure you have two people who can cover you at any time so that if and when an opportunity arises, you're free to step forward. Mm-hmm. And I think this knowledge was power was misused for a long time. Yeah. Sharing of knowledge is power. Yeah. Keeping oh, it yeah. is not. And yeah. all of these old practices and paradigms they do need to change they they need to be you know dusted off and they need to be uh they need to be refreshed and brought into the 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 work the work environment of today and indeed of the future yeah yeah i hear you um charlie (laughs) as we as we move towards close and i know there's i've I've a few humdingers of questions that i can't wait to ask you (laughs) but um 
uh, I suppose one of the issues that so many leaders and organizations are grappling with at the minute is the is the remote working the the hybrid working um any tips advice insights that you might share with leaders who find themselves in this scenario or managing remote teams at the minute because i know there's many listening in yes um i during covid actually i was engaged to work with um an organization in uh, georgia and basically they were trying, struggling with the hybrid work situation. And what they had done was they had identified the operational uh, functions that could be, uh, you know, covered from home. Mm -hmm. But the bit that they were struggling with was the people bit and how on earth to manage the people and what were the issues and why weren't they performing and all all of the usual good stuff. So I learned a lot from that. Mm -hmm. And what I really noticed during that was that all the leaders said, well, I've communicated like I always do, so they know what to do. And I'm thinking, oh, my goodness. Mm. But on the other hand, when we spoke with the employees, they were petrified. They felt ostracized. They felt isolated. They felt like they no longer belonged in a team. So all of the emotional issues, they were completely, completely outside the, the, the remit of the senior management. They never thought about mm-hmm. their employees as human beings. So my guidance, and I know now I'm, I'm, I'm watching closely, like I think a lot of people, what's happening with the whole hybrid working situation. Yeah. And the emphasis is on the legalities. Mm-hmm. I understand the need for that. But I really think we need to switch it over. And I think leaders need to look at themselves, honestly, and they need to do a huge amount of self-reflection. And they need to, to look at some of the newer characteristics that I've highlighted in the book. And, and the two that come to mind really for this is humility and empathy. Mm. And they need to practice those where their people are concerned. So there is great change. Some employees have absolutely blossomed in with remote working. And they can't they can't bear the thoughts of having to go back into an office to be boxed back into Mm -hmm. a situation. And this is something leaders have to manage. Then you have the people who have been completely and utterly overwhelmed by remote working and they think they'll never get back into the office. That also has to be managed. And then you have probably most, the bulk of the employees who are quite happy and can manage both. Yes. And for the leader, they have got to, I really believe they need to start looking at frameworks for their people, not the frameworks from a legal perspective or an operational perspective, but from their people perspective. Mm -hmm. And they need to see where do their team fit within the framework. And based on that, how do they need to change? Because one size won't fit all across those three elements. Mm. One style of leadership. And they're going to have to lead those people differently and still ensure that the the outcomes are achieved. Now, I do believe they need to work with uh, representatives and people from within each group, and they need to have a consultative process in place Mm -hmm. rather than think, well, I'm the leader, so I've got to provide a solution and sort it out and tell everybody what to do. But this is the old paradigm. Yes. I kicking in. So, 
that's not what the leader has to do at all. They do have to ensure it works, but bring everybody into the discussion and let people have a say because an awful lot of the people in the situation, a lot of their employees, they all have their own thought processes as a result of working from home as well. Mm. And they will have a load of suggestions. Mm. So I think the leaders should, you know, they should basically throw open the doors, set up forums, and between them collectively, find the way forward. And when you include your employees in the decision making and in, you know, introducing new change process, changed processes rather, mm. there would be greater buy-in because they had an input rather, oh, of than, course. rather than it being a diktat, well, you told me and therefore it didn't work. So that's your fault. So I, I have no, <laughs> no yeah, responsibility no. and less accountability for it. So yeah, yeah. it's there, again, so much depth to what you're saying, Charlie, um, yeah. um, you know, current challenges let's call it that is an opportunity for 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 changing approach you know if not now when type of thing exactly but the uh, the other th those two words of humility and empathy um as as a as a bedrock or something to lean into um you know they're not new words um humility is one i always associate with jim collins him of the the good to great Yes. Um, and and humility, humility being one of the things that separates the great from the good when it comes to leaders. Um, and, um, it, you know, it's fascinating that that sometimes these uh, that concepts, but these skills, these traits, you know, they, they, they continue to bubble up. You know, I think it's because they're just based on truth. You know, it's what's required. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I actually think leadership based on truth and integrity is a transparency mm. is what's required now for the modern world. And I think maybe truth is something that's in short supply at yeah. the leadership level. Yeah. Yeah. And it's something we, we really need, we really need to come back to it. Yeah. Gosh, I, 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 as I said at the outset, I knew we could chat all day, but I'm going to I'm going to swipe a question here. Not one of my questions, but um, I I enjoy listening to Brenny Brown's podcast. Yes, I'm a great do. fan of her work, mm. and it's a question that she often poses to people who are guests on her podcast, particularly in the space of leadership. You know, so I think here's the deal on this one, Charlie. If if you answer it, I'll answer it as well, um, and then it'll be double input for for listeners. So Brenny's question question is that we're swiping is if you know what's the one piece of leadership advice that you've been given that's so remarkable it's worth sharing or so bad you need to warn us i think i'll, I'll share something that i found that was quite remarkable great some decades ago and it, i think it's remarkable by its simplicity mm. and it was something i'd never thought about but as i was moving into the whole management leadership arena the best piece of advice i was given was if you want to remain popular mm -hmm. don't do this interview and don't go into management oh and i i, I was taken aback by the word popular popular and i went what do you mean and the, the person was uh, the senior hr executive and she was mm -hmm. briefing me in in readiness for my first really challenging interview mm -hmm. And she went, Charlie, you're, you're very popular with your peers and you're involved with them socially and 
you know, in sport and everything else. But she said the minute you become in you you join the management team, you're you're going, you know, you're going to lose some of those friends that you now have. And you will become unpopular because by virtue of being in a management position, you will have to make some challenging decisions that not everybody will agree with or mm. will like. Mm. You will have to, you know, balance the needs of the organization and the needs of the individual. And from an organizational perspective, the organization's needs come first. Mm. And so you have to be sure that this is what you want to do, that you want to step into this arena and know that when you do, your popularity will decrease. Well, there you go. And I thought the simplicity of this, but it, it was a minefield. And, you know, there are people who, who want to have the fun and the games and, yeah. and that's maybe they're happy and that's what fulfills them. And But it was really important to know because, you know, as, as you can know yourself, James, there are so many issues that present themselves in business and you change projects and everything else. And the responses you get from higher up are not always popular themselves. Mm -hmm. They're not always what people are hoping for or expecting, but you're the one who has to deliver the message. But not only that, you also have to implement the change, mm -hmm. whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. And I just felt, uh, you know, it's something that I've carried with me in all of the positions I've held in the bank and also as a, an international consultant and mentor and trainer. And I still have this conversation with some of my clients today because it is really important. I do a lot of work preparing people for interview, etc. And, you know, I really, I really discuss with them. So what will happen to your current friends, your peers, you know, your colleagues when you step up? And you have to then change something about the way they they work or where they work or, you know, it's not going to sit easily. Mm, yeah. And to be aware of that. It's interesting yeah. because um, when I think of, you know, advice that was so bad, it should, it should be shared as a warning <laughs> or so good. There's probably many places I could go to, but, but one, and it sort of sits in a little bit with what you're saying on that one, mm -hmm. Charlie. And I remember one of the best pieces of advice I got when I became a manager for the first time was to, to proactively manage the expectations of the people I'm now managing, who maybe yes. I was previously peers with. And, and the, the sentiment was, you know, have a conversation with them and say to them, you know, it's, it's still me. It's my intention is still to be as open and as transparent with you as possible, you know, to have open communication, etc. But there will be times where I'll have to make decisions you won't have to necessarily agree with. And um, there might be times where I have to not share information because there will be, you know, legitimate reasons for that that you may not fully understand. Exactly. But, but to have this conversation up front to manage expectations. So then when the time comes, it's, it's linked back to that earlier conversation. And it's still being the exception rather than the rule because we still want to be, you know, comrades here, as it were. Um, but it's, it's interesting because it's in the same area that you're in speaking the same about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, it's funny because I, I'm of a generation similar to yourself, Charlie, where, you know, people who maybe gave me advice that 
is no longer valid and probably wasn't even valid back then moving into a leadership position. I have to be aware of where they came from. You know, yeah. it, it wasn't too long before I became a manager that all the managers were Mr. You know, oh, you yes. I, I remember. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and you, you know, if you were doing internal memos, you had to sort of sign them yours sincerely. There was no kind regards, even. Oh, not at know? all. Yeah. So, <laughs> and that, now with email, there's there's no even salutation. No. It's you know, it's it's so cut and dried and impersonal. It's dreadful. We're back there again. Yeah, you know, but it it is it is funny. But that piece around managing the expectations of the people you're now managing, exactly. or or how do you want me to manage you, is sometimes a question I would give to people. I'm working with for them to pass on to their own people um, and yes. it just starts a new conversation and ultimately that's what what it's all about yeah exactly anyway we're going to move into the closing quick fire round charity the the questions <laughs> that i ask all the guests on the podcast lovely so here goes uh, what's your most cherished possession uh, my most cherished possession actually is a small portable manual typewriter that I got from Santa Claus about 50 years ago. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and you still have it. And it's in pride of place, I'm sure. It, it is. It's funny. It's the one thing that, you know, no matter what house I moved into or how often I moved, it, it abs- I couldn't. I just couldn't. It had to come with me. It, it's part of me in some remarkable way. But I remember the fun and the excitement. And I felt so, so I was such a big girl when I, I wasn't when I got it. Mm-hmm. But I felt like I was had aged significantly. And uh, you're a writer. There you go. Well, yeah. Who knew then? <laughs> yeah, it's funny, isn't it? <laughs> Demi, what inspires you? People inspire me, actually, James, you know, in every sense of, of, of the word, their behaviors, their cultures. I love people watching in airports. I mean, people often said, gosh, how do you kill time in an airport? Yeah. Well, I love it when I have a long layover because I just walk around and then I sit and I observe and I'll take notes. And, you know, and even in a book when I'm reading mm. If somebody starts describing the scenery, I, I lose interest very quickly. Beautifully written, but not me. I have to get to the people part. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting. I'm really, really inspired by people. Wow. Yeah. Uh, what was something that maybe at the time you labeled as a setback or a failure, Charlie, but that with hindsight maybe turned out to be a blessing? Yeah, at the time, I must say, I, I really, I, I, I felt like, my goodness, I had lost all sense of perspective and context about myself. I had left the bank at this stage and mm-hmm. I had become involved um, in a very early days of e-commerce. And, and mm-hmm. it, this was a, a project that was going to go global. And my investment on my part was uh, sweat equity in terms of all of my concepts, my IPR. Mm -hmm. And then there was some financial investment as well. And I was part of a team. Mm -hmm. But the more I got involved, the more I noticed the principal uh, partner very controlling. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, there, there was great unrest then developed at team level and... I decided, even though I was central to the project, I had to weigh up the pros and cons. And I realized this is not where I need to be. And this is not what I want to be associated with. It had changed significantly. And I had to make a decision to cut my losses. Now they were significant um, in financial terms. But the greatest loss uh, and impact on me was the loss of confidence. Mm. 
and I was too young to, to have lost it after, you know, all of my experiences. So, you know, when I kind of got over that a little bit, I started to look at the lessons and then I realized painful though it was, there was fantastic learning in it. Mm -hmm. And the blessing now for me, really, I would say, and I often look back on it as one of maybe a defining moment in my my yeah. life, was that I wasn't into just making money by selling millions of items. Mm -hmm. uh, that wasn't the driver for me, but it became the driver of the project. Mm -hmm. And um, my business approach is also one of absolute truth and integrity and transparency. And that was missing as well. Mm -hmm. And so the blessing was that I actually got out when I did. Um, and I actually, again, not unlike my situation in the bank, I really, I had to be true to myself no matter what I did. So, you know, the dollar signs that were being flashed around at the time were phenomenal and very attractive. But in actual fact, for me, they were meaningless. Mm -hmm. um, but I learned an awful lot, James. I did feel a failure at the time. There's no question. Um, but really looking back, I do thank God I got out when I did. Yeah. And then you've you, you've a, you've a crystallized understanding of your own values and what's Absolutely. important to you. Yeah. And then to see the early warning signals, should they arise again? Well, exactly. And and you learn about resilience. Yes. You know, um, and and a, an awful lot of there was an awful lot of learning, which is fantastic. Yeah. It's speaking of speaking of learning, um, anything that you're currently reading and enjoying learning books, yeah, podcasts. I, I, yeah, I picked up a fabulous book in the airport. I was going to Dubai to do a five day leadership program. Mm -hmm. The book is brilliant. It's Napoleon Hill's Success Habits. Oh, okay. Yeah. Now, it basically the book is a transcript of weekly radio programs that Napoleon Hill presented in 1952, in right. the 1950s. Mm -hmm. And so he did an awful lot of radio programs and he helped um, communities and organizations in his early days. And it was only later, much, much later, the, it, 2018 was the first time um, that this was published, that they found in the archives the radio shows and so some of the titles are just some of them are definiteness of purpose, mastering your definite purpose, accurate thinking, uh, the 15 major causes of failure, self-discipline. So really fabulous nuggets and gems in this book. Yeah, is it Think and Grow Rich? Is that his? It is Think and Grow Rich. Yes. Yeah. But these are these are found um yeah, transcripts from radio archives. Radio, Ash. before he wrote Think and Grow Rich. Gosh, okay. I've scribbled that down. Yeah, oh, it's a lovely book. book. It's a little, it is just a feast. Yeah. You really enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, last question for today, Charlie. If you had a motto or a favourite quote, words that inspire you, what might they be? Um, it's actually one that I've used in the book quite a lot. And I, I really do believe it and I, I live by it. And it is, there is no such thing as perfection, only growth. Right. And the same applies to leadership. No such thing as perfection, only growth. And the yeah. same applies to leadership. Yeah, yeah. So That's this like thing of striving for perfection is absolutely, you know, it is a waste of time and energy. So we should just focus on our growth, continuous growth. Yeah. Yeah. And say for us as leaders and then for our people, when we're leading people um, and, and 
so you know this thing of expecting your employees to be perfect well that's an, an unrealistic expectation no no the word that comes to mind there for me is another p word like progress like as long as it feels like progression yes or, or pro progress yeah because yeah no perfection no that's a topic for another day yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, charlie where has the time gone where has the it's hour gone? for sure and uh, you've been, as you are with the book, you are so generous with the, with the book and the content in it, I have to say. Thank you, um, thank you very much. And, and equally so today with your, your thoughts and your insights. And I know I've been scribbling away as you've been, as you've been speaking and um, there is so much depth to it. You know, you can see you're, 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 you're 25 years running your own business it's all lived experience as well that you're sharing. And I think yeah. that that always comes across because, you know, you've done the legwork with it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So we'll just close again. We remind the, the readers of the book. Um, and as I say, it's one that I've read and I read plenty on leadership. And it's one of the best ones I've read in a long time because it's so it is so rich. You know, so dare to be a revolutionary leader. Um, and it has the uh, the subtitles. Uh, people are the, the subtitle people are the solution change your leadership style and um available through your website charlie swords yes. uh, dot com and, and on amazon and on amazon um, and all great bookstores <laughs> and wherever wherever you can find them exactly um and um there was something else i was going to say there oh yeah and of course your lots more information besides on your website too and on the other social media platforms yes uh, so charlie thank you thank you um for for an enlightening conversation and best of luck with the book Thank you very much, James. It was an absolute pleasure to talk with you. And uh, I hope, it, it, you know, there's some, something of benefit there for all of your listeners. Thank you I'm very much. Sure, I'm sure. So just a quick reminder there to check out uh, Charlie's website, charlie, C-H-A-R-L-E-Y, swords, S-W-O-R-D-S dot com for more on her book, Dare to be a Revolutionary Leader, and lots more uh, besides. So I'm James Sweetman. Uh, thank you for tuning in this week. And until next time. Thank you for listening this week. If you enjoyed this episode and have a moment, please rate, review and subscribe if you haven't already. And maybe you'd like to share it with a friend too. For more information about me, James Sweetman, my coaching services, workshops, books, and for more podcast episodes, be sure to visit jamesweetman.com.